0: Hey
1: there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Box, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where we're on a mission to help individuals, teams, and organizations, especially our nonprofit friends, think outside the box, move beyond limiting beliefs, and create a profound impact in the world and in the lives of others. And we do this by sharing accomplished and inspiring guests, who have challenged their own limiting labels and beliefs to pursue and accomplish accomplish personal and professional goals. So today, we are joined by Dr. Tamara Rozier, whose journey is nothing short of inspiring. Now, her diverse roles span college administration, teaching, leadership consulting, and ADHD coaching, which grants her unique insight into the impact of ADHD and um, as the visionary behind the ADHD Center of West Miss- Michigan Dr. Rosier empowers individuals, parents and families with effective tools and I have uh a lot of questions we may or may not get to around that um for her And I also want to let you know that she's got a book out, Your Brain's Not Broken, which offers strategies for navigating ADHD's emotional aspects. And really great news she's working on her next book, which is all about ADHD in families. And we were talking before we actually pushed record for this, and there's some fascinating work that she's doing around that. Um, So with that, let me officially welcome the incredible Dr. Tamra Rosier to the podcast. Hi. I'm so I'm so happy to talk with you today. It's fun. It was fun before we pushed Go Live. I know. But I just you're my people. I love right? it. I love being people's people. So wait, can I call you Tamara? Absolutely. Yes. Well, you went through the trouble of earning a doctorate. I mean, I respect that, but honestly, you just are so approachable. I say, if it's good yeah. with you.
2: But well, yeah, really only my children have to call me Dr. Rosier. And that's only as when I'm angry. Yeah, and that's only when I'm irritated. So No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm not really like I know. That. <laughs> I, teasing's
1: good. I think teasing's good. Levity's a good thing. Um, I know I, I used one a recent podcast guest. I used his full name, which includes his middle name. And he goes, oh, I just had a flashback to being in trouble as a kid. <laughs> so, yes. you know, we all have these little hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I noticed. And I'm not sure that I will pronounce this correctly, so if I don't, please correct me. But, you know, one of the things that um, surprised me when I was reading more about you was that you actually have a degree in statistics, correct? I mean, you've got all that background in statistical or computational stuff, but you overcame now, this is the pronounced pronunciation piece is it it's dis, is it
2: dyscalculia? yeah, um it, kind of? it's it's one of those weird words um that we don't actually say it how it so you said it correctly. um a lot of people I hear a lot of people saying dyscalculia so um well, what yeah. is it? that yes. uh, so is because that's so, to the world. yeah just just to be clear my PhD is in teaching and um, learning but whenever you get a PhD in the social sciences you just take a lot of statistics Which and is why I never went yeah and I took even more statistics because it was actually very very fun and it was I, I actually negotiated with my chair to go can I take three more classes in stats. And then I'm like, can I take two more? He's like, well, why don't you just change programs? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I want this one. So um, so dyscalculia is, it's like dyslexia, but with numbers. And when you, you have ADHD, many of us with ADHD will have some sort of dys, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, um, you know, and uh, dyslexia. So uh, it's because how our brain works. By the way, ADHD is a neurological difference. A lot of people are like, well, it has a lot to do with diet. You're darn right it does. Well, it has a lot to do with exercise. You're darn right it does. But that just means we're super sensitive to our environment. Okay, so it's a neurological difference. And a lot of us don't only have ADHD. We have some kind of learning quirk. Mine is dyscalculia. So I'm going to make a confession to your listener. I really don't know my left from right. Literally. So I've heard, no Tamra, your other left, so many times in my life. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's part of having dyscalculia. Okay, question for you on that. What?
1: This is what I mean about like, I'll just go left on you sometimes. So if you don't know your left from your right and you're traveling, you're driving, do you orient by landmarks?
2: So that's the ADHD way of giving directions. Okay, you go down to the corner and you look for the Burger King, but don't turn before the Burger King, you turn right after it. And that's how an ADHD person gives directions. It's kind of funny. Now, my husband does have ADHD too, he does know his left from right. That's because he doesn't have the learning cork I have. Okay. Right? So if there's an ADHD person going, oh, I know my left from right. Yeah. It's a, lot of a, you know, a lot of people do. Um,
0: it's a, a nuance of,
2: though, right? It's an it a, is a nuance. And a lot of my clients will go, oh, yeah, I know my left and right. I'm like, what's your left hand? And they'll just take a fraction of a second. And that fraction of a second tells me they have to figure it out. And that's what I have to do. Yeah. So I literally can figure it out. It just takes me a fraction longer. It's not automatic. It's not automatic like it is with other people. But um, I was trying to tell my husband, we just, um, he bought some patio stones. He goes, where do you want them? I said, I want them on the North side of the house. He's like, what? I'm like North side. He's like, okay, so if I'm, is it the right or left? I'm like North, North. Because that makes a lot of sense to me. Right. So I orient a lot of times using the sun like a I caveman it, is, or a sailor is, from the 1800s. Yes. <laughs> well,
1: that's why I, I really would have trouble living in a totally flat place because I the sun's helpful. But honestly, yeah. I go, okay, the Sierras are on my left <clears throat> if I'm facing north. Right? Right. right. Yeah. So it, But I mean, and I get left, right, east, west, and all that. But it's just automatic for me to think landmark Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. where's the sun right now you know Mm -hmm. so anyway that's interesting but to save this from being a total rabbit hole going down that um so was there a particular point Tamara, where you just really started to focus on the emotional impact of adhd and work with your, you know, your brain's not broken. I yeah. mean, where did that come in your own journey?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because, so just for your listeners, a lot of your listeners think ADHD. Oh, they can't focus. Oh, they, poor organizational skills. You don't know for your are left or your are right. Um, inability to prioritize is another, right? But as I was working with my clients, I kept seeing this trend. And they would show up with intense shame. And they used their emotions to motivate them, themselves. And so, you know, some of my clients would motivate themselves with anxiety or anger. Like one guy, I wrote about this in my book, he he got angry at his garage. So he cleaned his garage out of spite. Yeah, joke's on you, buddy. You have a clean garage now. But a lot of people, I kept seeing this over and over again. And then as I was seeing this, I'm, you know, I keep up on the research, the, um, like Barkley, uh, Russell Barkley was just coming out with, hey, we're not really talking about EDHC correctly. There's an emotional dysregulation component. I'm like, aha, that's it. And now we're talking about emotional dysregulation all the time. Um, my book is one of the first books that just mostly focus, focuses on the emotional dysregulation of it and I really want people to understand like ADHD is not really it's not really funny when you make fun of ADHD or when you say oh I had such an ADHD moment because those of us who actually have the neurological difference we want to throttle you at that point because we have 50 different ideas in our head at once all vying for our attention and we're trying to listen to your it, and it's it's a lot, and then we have big feelings about it. So, that's, are the big feelings part of?
1: Are they connected to the the neurological essence of it, or is the big? Are the big feelings from the external um, ostracization or chastising or shame putting onto someone with ADHD?
2: Wow, Sarah, that was a great question. Love that question, and so. I'm going to nerd out just for 30 seconds, okay? But I promise I'll come right back to you, okay? So if if your listeners tap on their forehead, that's called the prefrontal cortex. And that's this modern amenity in the brain that remembers where you parked your car, knows how to prioritize, knows what to do, when to do it, how to do it. It's really great. Um, And and we know that brains kind of have evolved throughout ages. Um, and modern brains have this. And guess what? Those of us with ADHD, ours isn't fully reliable. So those of us with ADHD don't always know what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Except the research shows that we're not idiots, right? It's just we're ill-adapted for a modern world that really likes punctuality likes to return emails, you know, remember where your cars park, go grocery shopping, the stupid things in life. And if, if you have ADHD, and if you just kind of resonated with the stupid things in life, that's like, yeah, you have ADHD. Because we see all those mundane things as just so much weight for us. So because we're not stupid, now, if your listener puts their kind of cup, their ear, Um, where your fingers are, that's kind of, that's where the amygdala is, and that sits with the limbic system. And many of your listeners might even know this, that when you have ADHD gets overactivated Because we don't have the prefrontal cortex that, remember, behind the forehead, that just says, hey, how about you do this now? And you're like, good idea, brain. We don't have that function. So we have to go and we're like method actors walking around going, what's my motivation? What's my motivation? Oh, I'm angry. Yes, I'll do it. You refer to all the statistics I learned. I did that out of spite. I had one teacher. And now I think the poor guy, he was pro- probably had ASD. But he wasn't very helpful. He wasn't very kind to me. And I'm like, you know what? I am going to learn this out of spite. And I ended up liking this man a lot, but out of spite. And then I all of a sudden fell in love with statistics. So you want to know how I got all those classes? I just got mad. That's an ADHD thing to do. Does that make sense to you? It's kind of brilliant, though. In,
1: in, uh, <laughs> honestly, it is kind of brilliant. to First of all, to recognize that's what's happening, and whether or not you recognize it in the moment or after the fact, but to Bypass, I mean, I think it's amazing on a physiological as well as a psychological basis. Um, But I want to talk about the um, amygdala and ask you something because we've got the prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex and the amygdala. So if you're having to rely on that and maybe it's, you know, like you're saying different motivations, I may be going way off field here, so pull no, me no, no. in I am. I but know really where you're going, makes... and I'm
2: loving it, Sarah. Okay, so Continue. here's what I'm
1: wondering. If you're doing that, are you raising your cortisol
2: levels in your body, and what okay. is the negative impact? Sarah, you're doing there's... a great job here. You're nailing oh, thank this. Thank you. Because <laughs> the latest research is saying you are exhausted. And the latest research is saying people with ADHD have even more infl- inflammatory markers. We talk about that.
1: What are the inflammatory markers you're seeing? Um,
2: well, before I do that, let me go okay. back to the amygdala that's housed in uh, the limbic center, right? So the amygdala is just there to sense danger, except because we overuse it, we get a twitchy amygdala. And then when you have ADHD, you're confusing a big deal from a small deal. So all of a sudden, some of my clients will get all oh, wound up about, I didn't do this, and, and they're winding themselves up because their brain accidentally thought that was a threat. Up goes the cortisol level. If you keep living like this, you are going to get more inflammatory diseases. And think, you know, just think with me through the inflammatory diseases. Diabetes, we know is one. Diabetes,
1: arthritis. Um, allergies. allergies. Allergies, IBS, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And also then I think it leads, or can lead, I'm not the expert here, but I just think about then if you're doing that all the time, don't you end up with adrenal fatigue
2: and just that whole... You're nailing this, this is exactly it. And so when I wrote Your Brain's Not Broken, um, that research was just coming out, so I didn't talk about it a lot, but I did address like, listen guys, I wrote it to my clients, I'll never know, right? Right. It's kind of a love letter to people like, hey, I'm sorry. You feel like crap a lot because of your brain. Let me explain what's happening. And you don't have to feel like this. But ADHD people will report we feel exhausted all the time. We feel like failures all the time. And life feels too much for us. Because we can go through everything in our day, but we're still faking being a grown up. And that's, I, I had a friend say to me yesterday, she goes, you know, sometimes I just think I need parental supervision. And I'm like, yeah, girl, I get it. I mean, she's in her 40s and she doesn't, but I get it because you're just like, no one's helping me mind these basic details. And, and one of the rules that when you have ADHD is we tend to be very bad at the mundane
1: what is but mundane to you? Because I, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to talk about spectrum so people can place themselves if they're questioning themselves. Yeah. But also, the words like mundane, like mundane for me, could mean one thing, and for you something else, and for a listener something entirely different. So you are exactly right. That's how
2: I was going to answer that. So here's the definition of mundane for ADHD folks. It's not fun and there's no emotional reason to do it. That equals mundane. So unloading the dishwasher could be mundane to someone. But if you notice neurologically, how we're put together, we, it's not fun. So I have a fun-seeking brain, so that's gonna kinda get me wrapped up, and there's no emotion to back it. Well, why do it? I had a client say to me the other day, Why do I keep doing laundry? I'm just going to get it dirty again, right? Laundry wasn't fun, and there's no emotional content, right? Um, And by the way, something I should just add: uh, ADHD people tend to look for fun and high high emotional intensity, whether it's good or bad. Uh, It's like imagine we have a volume control in our brain for emotion the higher the emotion the more we'll pay attention to it regardless of emotion regardless of positive or negative yes uh, yeah so whether the emotions anger
1: or joy joy or yeah. whatever. it's all the
2: same to us right? okay it's but intensity. you want you
1: want higher intensity is what you're saying
2: uh, we're cra- we crave the higher intensity but the problem is that's exhausting And I can't get high intensity about unloading my dishwasher. That's too exhausting. And so the reason I have a job is because I help people figure out how to do those mundane things like laundry without having to shame themselves or get angry or um, become anxious. This is so very interesting for so many reasons. Hey
1: there, everybody. I wanna take just a minute out of this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast to tell you that we are officially opening the Sandbox membership in September. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please click the link below to either sign up for the membership or get on the waiting list for the membership. And if you click the link, you'll find more information about what's included, what our plans are and better yet you'll be on early enough to help decide what is most important to you to experience in the first 3 to 6 months of the membership so don't wait click the link below and join us in the sandbox where fun happens we get to do a little r and r little learning support one another and really grow and expand in ourselves in our lives and impact the world in a profound So come on over, join us. Okay, so talk a little bit. Now, we've been talking about like a number of things. Let's go back to some ADHD 101. Talk about, um, if you would, kind of the spectrum uh, of symptoms or how someone would go, well, I do some of that, but not how would I know and all of that.
2: So I tend not to use spectrum as much. Okay, what's a better language? there isn't. And so that's why I'm kind of like, there. Ah. So here, here's what's happening. ADHD is a neurological difference. When you have ADHD, you're relying most unmedicated on, um, on a different part of your brain. It's the fight or flight part of your brain. And that's exhausting. Uh, in the book, I talk about, um, it's like those of us with ADHD, Instead of this butler calmly calmly saying, Tamara, your keys are on the counter. Take those before you leave. We have this angry neighbor we can barely hear just throwing shoes at us and cussing us out, and we don't even know why. That's kind of how it feels to be ADHD sometimes and trying to leave the house, right? Another mundane activity. So because of that neurological difference, we do different things with it. And sometimes it's called masking. Uh, Women, high IQ women are very difficult to catch. Um, And catch, I mean, diagnose. Because society has given them feedback like, uh, hey, you want to be anything in this world? Get your act together. And women are like, got it. And so they turn up the anxiety. And some of them are... Unfortunately, diagnosed with anxiety and people will miss the ADHD neurological difference. So they may have anxiety or they may have ADHD really, really bad. It just means they're working so hard to mask it. And they're exhausted. And they shouldn't be as exhausted. But I have um, a client who's a divorce attorney. Um, And she's good at what she does. It takes her so much longer to do the job. And she's exhausted because of it. And, and yet, no one would ever guess she has ADHD. It takes her longer to do the job because? Uh, ADHD is a very inefficient way of thinking. Okay. Um, and, and I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, and by the way, guys, I know there's some people that will say, ADHD my gift. If you have the luxury of believing that, great, go for it. But for some of us mere mortals having to survive in the world, it's not a great thing to necessarily have. So ADHD folks tend to lean on what we call divergent thinking. Okay. What, Neur- neurotypicals, I'll, I'll explain convergent first. Neurotypicals okay. lean on what we call convergent thinking. And most of our duties, um, like this attorney, It's convergent task. So when there's a convergent task, there's one answer. It's deductive reasoning. It's You're taking all these things, narrowing them down to one thing. That's it. Sherlock Holmes does deductive reasoning, right? He looks around a room, makes these calculations, one right answer, here's the killer. And we're like, he's brilliant. But that's convergent thinking. Convergent thinking is also sequential. First I do this then I do this, then I do this, right? Those of us with ADHD, we tend to, we can, we're capable of doing convergent thinking, but it's not our native language. Divergent thinking is when you take one idea and you put it on a piece of dynamite and you blow it up into a billion tiny little pieces. That's how the um, I don't know if you've ever been in meetings with ADHD people, but they'll go, hey, how about we do this? No, how about we do this? And they're just taking ideas, and they're just building more and more ideas. We're good idea people. In fact, that's why we get the label of being creative, because part of creative is being able to think divergent. Um, by the way, I, I laugh every time I see these improve your divergent thinking classes online, because I'm like... Now, no ADHD person ever needs to do that. We have to learn the opposite.
1: Well, that could be fatiguing. But I will say, I know that as a facilitator in organizations, I recognize the differences and I recognize my mm-hmm. tendency in some of those, but I find I have to rein people in a lot and go, okay, cool. Let's finish this one thought. <laughs> no, it is, it's cool. That, you know? it. And yeah. one of my partners is so creative, but he can, and he's fast, super yeah. fast, right? He is ahead yeah. of where the client is. Mm-hmm. And I see where he's going. I says, hold on mm-hmm. a minute. Um, let's talk their language first. Right. Let's I slow it down. Well, yep. because he's brilliant, but he sees yeah. all this stuff, and we just we're just very honest with each other. You know, it's kind of yeah. like well, um, and I don't know that he's ever. I don't even know that fits him, right? He's just super creative. But I also think when folks, I recognize the need to express yourself without being shut down, though. And often when we only look for one answer, we're missing something really important. So I appreciate right. people. Um, being able to say, but what about this and what about this? Because I think this is a bias of mine. So Tamara, you can wheel me in. But I just think if there's only one answer, how can that even be possible? There might be one most obvious answer at the moment, but that means we haven't considered other things or other questions.
2: You are correct. But a lot of the mundane things in life is just convergent. It's just boring, right-of-the-mill conversion thinking. Yeah, you so run here, the dishwasher, he, you empty the dishwasher. Exactly. <laughs> do we need to but discuss she, it any further? Well, here's what an ADHD person would do, okay? Um, in fact, I wrote about this uh, in my book. I had a client. Um, she couldn't fit a bowl into one of her – oh no, no. Yeah, she couldn't fit a bowl into a cabinet. And then she's like, "What? you know, this cold kitchen is a mess and you know she had to pick up the kids at a certain time and before she knows it she's calling her husband for the next netflix password so she can watch netflix while she's taking everything out of her cabinets to to kind of rearrange her whole kitchen now that's not a bad activity but during a day and her husband's like should you be doing this right now because you got to pick so-and-so up and get them to practice and do this and you were supposed to bring the snack and all this. And then she gets overwhelmed. But it's because the idea of just trying to fit this bowl was too overwhelming and mundane and let's be honest, convergent. She's like, I'm just gonna rearrange my whole kitchen. And she literally had things out on her counter for two weeks. That's the eighty so that's so the, the, hard part, the
1: top part, right? When someone yep, should, and, like gets hooked by it.
2: Yeah, I talk. Yeah, I talk about like let's not make Rube Goldberg machines. Do you remember Rube Goldberg machines? Um, For your listener, they're like um, cartoon drawings that are just weird little inventions of turning on the light, but um, a candle has to burn a rope that knocks. Okay. Remember those? Um, Yes, I do. And they're just silly. They're silly machines. If we're not careful, that's how the ADHD brain works. And so I'm always coaching my clients like, hey, no, 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 no. we're going to keep this simple. Unload the dishwasher. That's it. Oh, you don't know? You can't put that bowl back? That's okay. Put the bowl on the counter and just wait. Like, we're going to keep it real simple here. And that's because we we're, we face a problem that's mundane, and we blow it up in 50 pieces and we want to use divergent thinking when we actually should be using convergent. So that's the pain of ADHD. Yeah, that's and that's
1: really that's very real.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. and but Sarah, sometimes we can look like geniuses. Of course. When we apply our divergent thinking to the right moments. People are like, "We never saw that." We're like, "Well, think of the constellation and you'll see it." And then ask us how many times it took us to before we could finally get out to our car because we kept running back in the house, but forgetting things, you know, that's convergent. And yeah. so I, I define ADHD as people who are really bad at convergent thinking who just want to spend their time in divergent.
1: Okay. I like that. Um, I want to back up and ask two short, they may be short questions. So when you talk about it being a neurological difference, yeah. Okay. So new science or new research is talking about the plasticity of the brain and its ability to change. So are there things that are either being examined, not to quote unquote fix someone with ADHD, but maybe mend some of the things so that it's less hard or difficult Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, So, and I'm specifically thinking about some of the practices that are being used for like folks with uh, PTSD, PT, um, PT, just PSD, um, and other work. So I don't know if anything of that is being applied or looked at in this realm.
2: Yeah, there actually is. Um, I love this question. So, first of all, I do want to say those of us with ADHD uh, were very susceptible to trauma. And And so we have to understand that about us because of how our brain works. Um, The amygdala is always left there, leading going, I'm pretty sure this is a danger. I'm pretty sure this is a danger. And when by golly it is, then our brain's like, we were right. And then all the alarms go off and stay stay going off. And that's a problem that many of us have. So uh, by the way, uh, how... ADHD people use their brain is evidence of plasticity because their prefrontal cortex isn't reliable. So unknowingly we're like, okay, okay, what part of the brain can we rely on? Oh, the amygdala raises her hand and goes, "I'll protect you. That's my job, guys. I'll just take a bigger role in your life." We're like, "Thank you very much." Brilliant, huh? Mhm. And so that is evidence of plasticity. Um, I am going to say I'm not pushing meds at all. People get very, they have strong feelings on both sides of this, and I'm in the point of, you do you, okay? But I will say, stimulants work for 80% of the ADHD population. What that means is, it regulates our dopamine production, so that we can just do those mundane tasks better. And so that, that's very important, and that's a neurological difference. We can see it on fMRIs. Um, brains light up when they're medicated with a stimulant.
1: So now is it particularly, is it like an, a prescription stimulant, or I'm thinking, and I, this may be an old wives' tale, but the whole thing, like if someone is um, overly active, like if you have caffeine on board, it starts to calm
2: you down. No, that's not a wives' tale. That's a thing. The problem is we really want prescription better because it crosses the blood brain barrier better. It it goes through the liver. It's the liver knows what to do with it better. Um, It's not as hard on your body as drinking, you know, 18 cups of coffee that, I mean, the acid from that is too much. Um, Massive. Yes. Yes. Um, And I really cringe when my clients like drink like a red bull or any of those heavy caffeinated drinks that's really hard on your system. So if you are, and you know, a lot of people are like, I don't need medication. Cool. Tell me about your caffeine intake. And they'll tell me. And I'm like, well, you're already medicating yourself. You might as well do it with more intelligence. So um, it, it just really is a thing. Um, the people who don't like the idea of that, I just want to remind them that a lot of people wear glasses and it's an accommodation so if i use a stimulant to help me do mundane to help me answer my email in it during the work day it's like putting on glasses so um, i would like to reduce the stigmatism on that yeah i think <laughs> anyway, that's a
1: really good point no you know it's like we don't always have to be judging what other people do and maybe
2: we can no. learn a thing or two yeah so living- and having said that um Exercise no. is very important for managing ADHD. Because um, getting, of the other neurochemicals that get produced? Exactly. So it doesn't always have to be medication. I want to be fair. Um, exercise, a lot of people who are very serious about exercise can get through life um, managing their ADHD through exercise. I mean, that's as, as close to a silver bullet as we'll ever get. And does
1: nutrition play a a part in here and like what's going on in the microbiome and all of that for being able to
2: deal with stuff? Well, this research is coming out of Europe. So it's not really even in the U.S. yet. And you might have a couple of MDs listening to this saying, that's not true. But we're finding that the gut biome of people with ADHD, uh, they have different gut biomes. In what way, Tamara? Uh, We're not really sure. Um, this is just really at the beginning again this is coming out of Europe Europe is way ahead of us I'm talking about gut biomes but there's a difference and so the first thing you do in research is you ask is there a difference and the answer is there seems to be a difference the next question is well what is that difference and then the third question is why is there that difference so we're just at the is there a difference kind in the The early stages Yep, yeah. and the research t- seems to be coming back, going, yeah. We do know that serotonin starts in the stomach, and that's a neurotransmitter. Um, and we know th- we we're learning so much about the gut as the second brain. So um, I would say to your listeners, stay tuned. In the next about seven years, that should break. So for people who are like
1: instant gratification folks, it's not yet, but there no, is early it's not stuff yet. out there.
2: But if you know, if you know why Sarah asked that question, then you know to find a really good probiotic and yeah. just start doing that. So can't hurt. Doesn't no, hurt. Well, it system. can hurt if you buy a crappy <laughs> sure. probiotic because you can get things, uh, contamination. And get metals and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Third so third always make tested. sure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, and look for the genealogy. It should say this is the strain, you know. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. But being proactive in researching that on your own or finding something out on it, because taking care of your gut is, it's not, I mean, if you take a little bit of time, it's not that hard to do, and at least it helps you. So yeah, that's it, my, not. I'm not a doctor, but I, I've been around the planet long enough to yep. know that. As my children would
2: say, I'm not a real doctor. Um, and so that's my disclaimer, disclaimer, but you know, they mean like she's not, inhibiting. I know, but yeah, well, they would always tell their friends, well, she's not a real doctor. Um, but I, I do try to help my clients. Um, a lot of Americans aren't just getting what they need, like magnesium, fish oils, um, probiotics. Those are things that ADHD people tend to actually need in their lives. Um, a lot of us are jumpy, and if you're jumpy, like my husband will come into my bathroom. He lives with me. We share a bathroom, and I'll still jump <laughs> when he comes in. Um, that's because my little amygdala is overactive, and that I need more magnesium. Yeah. Um, to- Magnesium's oh. our friend. Yes. Yes
1: especially if you have trouble sleeping or any of that stuff that helps cramps, all that jazz.
2: Yeah. Most Americans, um, I think I read up to 80% of Americans aren't getting enough magnesium through their diet. So it's worth looking into. That's a whole other conversation. I know. I'm like, I'm stopping myself from going, we're not All right, guys, there's different
1: kinds of magnesium. I know. I started thinking about that too. You get this kind of, it's like, no. (laughs) I saw it on your face, Sarah. I I saw it on your face. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) Anyway, I do want to – what did I ask you before you said I'll get back to that? So,
2: Okay, so you asked me about, um, you know, what are the therapies for this, the neurological difference. Yes. Um, One of the most effective therapies, if you happen to have trauma plus ADHD, one of the most effective therapies, and we work with this a lot at our center, is uh, EMDR. And if I – you know – that is really kind of unlocks a lot of the pain of ADHD. Uh, a lot of times, think about it, we grew up in dysfunctional homes. Why? Because ADHD is highly hereditary. If that was one it, of
1: my questions because you're talking what? about a neurological difference. I'm thinking, well, mm-hmm. a lot of our differences are inherited.
2: Yeah. So if you have a father, uh, Russell Barkley uh, suggests that it's it's, high is up to 90% or I'm sorry, 80% likely that if father has ADHD, his child will. Wow. That's super interesting. Mom, I think it's only around 60%. Those numbers kind of keep shifting as we learn more. Okay. I, I, you know, I have a client who's an anesthesiologist and she's like, Tamara, if we see 0.05 likelihood, we pay attention ADHD is higher than 0. 0.8 meaning like, it's a big deal. This is huge. Why aren't we talking about this? And so, um, because but why aren't
1: we talking about it?
2: I I think, you know, ADHD has been a punchline. Uh, there's ADHD deniers that were just kind of lazy, ill adapted people. <laughs> um, I think the research is just coming out. If we really took ADHD seriously, um, our prisons are full of ADHD people. It's a justice issue for me. Um, families, think about, I talked about emotional dysregulation, right? Oh, let's put the emotional dysregulation in the family. That's Those could be abusive situations.
1: Absolutely. And
2: so, yeah, that's where a lot of children get their trauma and carry that into adulthood
1: along with the neurological difference you layer on the trauma so that's a perfect segue thanks for setting me up let's talk about the book you're writing right now and just give us a taste of where you're going with it even though it doesn't have a title yet all that I'm super interested in where you're going with this
2: well thanks for your interest because uh the manuscript is actually due in 14 days so I'm I'm knee deep into this. I'm, I'm in real deep right now. Um, so it's a survival guide for those who find themselves living in a neurodiverse family. And here's here's why I say that you have your haves and have nots in the family. And I, I work a lot with families. And so let's say I have a family in my office, and I'm talking. Mom has ADHD. Dad doesn't. Mom has certain characteristics. Dad's looking at going, I don't even understand what I'm seeing right now. And they have four children, and two of them have ADHD, but the other two don't. And so now w- the family's kind of split because some, you know, the non ADHD people or neurotypical people go, They're kind of weird. How about we just stick together? And the ADHD people are like, You guys are boring. We're not even. You know, now we're going to kind of mess with you just because it's fun, and and so it's addressing what's happening in families. So the first six chapters are really about your own survival. It's you first own your own shit. Own
1: it regardless of which side you're on in that. Regardless of
2: where you are in a have or a have not. Yes, just own it. Okay. And, and I give a, a couple strategies for what it looks like to own it. Because here's what happens. Everyone comes into my office and they want to fix everyone else. It's human um, density. I, yes. I, I mean, I work with parents going, okay, okay. You know, I, I have staff that will work with their children and go, hey, you really should talk to Tamara for parent coaching. And I see the parent and they're like, all right, I just want to talk about my child. I'm like, well, this session is to talk about you. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't need to talk about me. Let's fix my child. Well, that's really unfortunate, right? (laughs) Because let's say mom presents with all this anxiety. Well, the ADHD kid is picking up anxiety and just wired in, and that's actually changing his behavior. And so we have to, everyone's got to own their own stuff, and you have to own your own anxiety. You have to think, am I behaving in a safe way for other people? <clears throat> For those of us with ADHD, we have to understand what emotional fallacies we kind of hold on to. Uh, I'm just going to kind of pick on young millennials right now. Young millennials, not the older ones. The haves uh, or they, have not young millennials. Uh, the ADHD, young millennials. Okay. I just,
1: I'm trying to keep yep. my legs clear so I don't ask you No, you're doing topic. a great job.
2: Yeah. Um, a lot of times I see them believing this emotional myth of, well, if I feel it, it must be true. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. Now, I'm a cranky Gen X ADHD person. So I don't have that. I have other errors that I believe about emotions, like get over it, move on. That's one of the errors I do, right? And so I ask my cl- my readers to kind of go through, examine what emotional errors are you like holding on to like a belief and how is this not helping you? So, so the book is really about, you know, how do you survive with the people you love and hate? (laughs) Like Sometimes you're like, I don't like the people I'm related to.
1: Well, the old, the old saying, you know, you get to pick your friends, but not your family. Right. But what's interesting about that, Tamara, is that, Whether or not you're speaking about ADHD or not, I think those questions are super important for any family, right? It's like, is this my crap that I'm living in and living out this story I'm telling myself or is it real or what? It's that whole thing of like, whose crud am I carrying around with me and from what century?
2: Exactly. Oh gosh, isn't that the truth? And I didn't have time to write that, about that in this book, um, about uh, generational, generational trauma. But, but that's that's a very real thing. Um, in the book, though, I give a metaphor of a, the family swimming pool. And if you think of a swimming pool as a place of big emotions, it's not good or bad. It's just big emotion place. Well, those of us with ADHD, we don't have a lifeguard on duty. We don't have a fence around it. And we usually dance around it and fall into our pool. In other words, we fall into our big emotions pretty easily. But what happens in families is we end up with pool parties that aren't pleasant. So I fall into my pool and then someone else is like, well, she shouldn't be in her pool and cannonballs. And and then there's the helper trying to go, I'm going to pull both of you out of your pool. And you see how it, emotionally it gets so so fragmented and messy.
1: Sure, and, so, and super
2: drama. Oh, oh, ADHD families can have so much drama. It's one of the reasons why I'm writing this book. Um, so, so that that's, uh, you know, the metaphor we're using just to help people see it, to go, okay, okay, I mean, I have to manage my pool, and the the pool rule is, if you're over, you know, five or six. It's really your responsibility to get out of the pool. We can talk about it. We can scaffold it for you. But if you're having a meltdown, you you need to work through it. Again, I'm not hard-hearted. As parents, we're going to help you through it. But as a general, like let's say we walk, keep watching Dad fall into his pool. Hey, guys, just walk, walk in the other direction. You don't need to follow him in his pool.
1: Yeah. The other metaphor... That I've I've been told this before. It's like, hey, once you're in a hole, quit digging. Just quit digging. Yeah. Let me know if you need a hand up. But otherwise, digging. Right. Yeah. That's actually a picture I can see. It's like one. This is not getting anywhere.
2: I'm just going to pause. Just pause. Do nothing. Exactly. Reorient. That, that's actually exactly what I say in the book. Just pause. Float there for a second. Ooh, these big emotions surprised me. And then figure out reorient and figure out how you can swim to the side. Yeah, but that sometimes
1: to, takes practice, right? Like I can. It do. does.
2: Yep. Well, and sometimes I fall into my pool, and I put myself in timeout because I'm like, well, I fell into my pool, and and yet the nice thing is when you have a family and you can go, hey guys, I'm really close to the pool today, and so I'm just saying this because I'm aware of where I am right now. I'm sitting on the edge dangling my feet in. So I'm going Don't to take responsibility. Yeah, I'm taking a res- my responsibility. But I'm just like, you know, if I seem on edge, because ADHD people kind of have spidey senses everywhere. That's what's happening to me today. Yeah. I'm going to be okay because we're all going to be okay. But that's how I feel. Right. Especially well, great lady.
1: communication. I mean, so that exactly. tells other people, you, nothing's required of you here. I got this. You know, just right. I'll be the grown-up here. I got this. I recognize yeah. it. Not pleased with it at the moment, but right. here's what it is.
2: Yeah. I was using the pool metaphor with a family, and a um, fourth grader came home and said, oh, Mrs., and I don't know the teacher's name, but I'll just say Brown. Mrs. Brown it's like she just waits to push me in my pool. And, and so we could work with that metaphor to go, well, Mrs. Brown doesn't really want to push you in the pool, right? It feels like that. Well, what can we do? Are we too close to the pool when we go into this after recess? Maybe. And so we could kind of look at where this child was with the pool. So, um, so will you talk just,
1: I've got two more questions that I definitely want to ask you. But when you just talked about using that with that child, um Can you talk a little bit about the use or value of metaphor and helping give people language for what's going on with us?
2: Yeah. Um, In fact, I use a lot of metaphor in both books. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you're writing a book, you, you give people metaphors, (laughs) right? Um, Because I can't say, Hey, find your metaphor and work with it. But a lot of times in coaching, I'll say, so what's your metaphor? And I use it specifically when I'm starting to work with a client And they're still working through, they have ADHD. What does it actually mean? And so I ask, well, what does ADHD mean for you? And can you help me with a mental picture? Mm -hmm. Um, One woman said, you know what it is? It's a constant embarrassment. It's like I'm walking around with toilet paper stuck to my shoe. I'm constantly embarrassed. Um, Another one said, um, She felt like Lucille Ball in the episode about the chocolates coming down the conveyor belt. And I don't know if you remember it, but yeah, she and Ethel end up shoving them under their hat, down their shirt. Um, And she goes, that's how I feel I deal with life. That's what my ADHD is. Things come at me too fast, and I'm just shoving things everywhere and shoving them in my mouth. It's a hilarious episode unless you feel like you're living it all the time.
1: That's a powerful metaphor, though, to yeah. be able to convey what's going on with someone in a moment.
2: Exactly. So once we get the metaphor, then we can begin to solve for it. So I'm going to share my metaphor, and it, it's something I've already worked through so your your listeners don't have to feel sorry for me, but just understand this is where I started. My metaphor was for She was, you know, I feel like, I have two parts of me. One of me is a great runner. The other part of me isn't. And I have to put those together and run a three-legged race every darn day. And I'm running because guess what? I love crossing that line. And I'm motivated. And you know, she does the ADHD version. She wants to sit down and pick dandelions and look for bugs. And I realized this, and this is a sad thing. This is why, please don't pity me, guys. I've worked through this. But to get through my Ph.D. process, I essentially knocked her out and just dragged her body. And metaphorically, that's incredibly unkind. And and that's kind of what I did to survive. Um, I was teaching, college, had an infant, and finishing my Ph.D.,
1: is that so, metaphorically unkind, or is that an adaptive survival skill?
2: Well, it's an adaptive survival skill that was unkind, though. Okay. Because somehow I had to learn, and this is how I worked with a metaphor. I had to learn, like, hey, girl, it's you again, talking to the ADHD. I know, and I know who you are, honey, and I know you don't want to run today. In fact, you're not even that good at running. But can we work together today? Because I'm really hoping to get this done. And so I talk with her, get in an agreement with her, put my arm around her, and we run the race together.
1: So instead of negating part of yourself and pushing exactly. it away and creating yeah. more shame and...
2: Yeah, I'm really Listen. hoping you don't have a psycho analyst listening right now going, oh, oh, that's real bad. Yeah, it was, and I worked through it, guys. But... <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny that you would even think that like, okay, well, even if they're thinking
1: that I know I'm teasing, I know (laughs) but that's an interesting thought. I think that too, even when I'm interviewing people, I'm going, well, it's,
2: it's a dark, it's, it was a dark place. And And I share this metaphor because working through that metaphor, like that's how I pictured ADHD. Well, I had to solve the metaphor. So for the Lucille Ball metaphor, We had to solve her ADHD differently. How do we slow things down for you so that you can interpret things differently? How do we slow down that conveyor belt? That's a very
1: powerful, powerful way of connecting at a meaningful level with our true inner self person.
2: I I have to tell you, my, I get, I love my readers, by the way. They are one, incredibly kind. Two, they send me their metaphors and they're brilliant. And I love them. I and mean, I just love what they've been doing with my book. Um, I, I just, I have the kindest readers, by the way. I just, they're great people. So that's, I'm grateful. I, liked,
1: for I I, think we all deserve kindness. And so for kind people to show up and share is the best, you know? Yeah. Just amazing. Okay. Now I'm shifting gears on you. You ready? Okay. Put yep. On, put on beep, a different beep, hat. Beep. So, yep. well, one of the things we've been doing, so listeners will recognize this, but we have been asking our guests like you to pick a previous guest episode and share something you liked or learned from them mm-hmm. so we can give them a shout out for the difference they're making um,
2: yes, and lift them up a bit. Yeah. Well, um, you know, before I come on podcasts, I do research before I say yes, um, because I've just learned it's not worth my energy to do a podcast I don't want. It's boring, and, well, I have ADHD. Um, It's actually, it won't end up being a good interview. Uh, So I, before you even asked me, I I was already familiar with a few episodes. Um, My favorite episode um, is with Shannon, and I'm going to look at her name a second, O'Connor, and here's why. I'm an I'm an Enneagram snob. Okay? And here's what I mean. If you ever want to kind of irritate me, break my two rules. I have two rules when I teach the Enneagram. You may not tell other people what they are, and you may not use this new superpower to harm people. Because you're going to learn what their wounds are, and you you can only act in a protective way with that, right? And I liked how she treated the Enneagram with deep respect and used it as a growth tool. A lot of people are like, Oh, I'm a blank. And, and then they're like nothing else. And, and I really liked that. She she took it seriously. Didn't treat it like it's a little personality quiz, but that it's deep spiritual path that you can take. And so I just, I really respect when people talk like that about the Enneagram.
1: So we'll do a whole other
2: conversation
1: on the Enneagram um, because otherwise this will end up being a three-hour interview, which we're not doing today. (laughs) Although I I wouldn't be opposed, but I know the listeners would. So um, as we're wrapping this up, Tamara, will you share like one I hate to say final, but just a parting piece of wisdom or encouragement that you want to give folks listening to this, regardless of where they see themselves, for themselves, their family members, um, just a piece of encouragement to take with them.
2: Yeah. um, You know, the title of my book is Your Brains Not Broken. And a lot of us limp through life and we kind of feel like we're masquerading as an adult. And and you guys will know who you are. If you're listening going, oh, I work with that pain. I just want to say you're not broken. You're okay. And it will be okay. But but you don't have to suffer. So find, find an ADHD-informed therapist. Find an ADHD coach. Start to learn about ADHD and how it's actually impacting every nook and cranny of your life. It is just a neurological out, difference. Right? They can check yes. out your center. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. My publisher loves when I say, please check me out at TimberRoseur.com. Well, we
1: <laughs> well, and we want to direct people to that, right, because that's the shortest right. line. It may not be yes. the final line, but it's the shortest first step so that, right. so that we're not taking all the bulls out of the cabinet, right? It's like, just mm-hmm. this is the easiest thing. Reach out. They'll redirect you. Right. Right? Yes. I do. I'm, my biggest favorite question right now is, how can I make this easy? Mm-hmm. In my business, I ask, them, how can we just make this simple?
2: Okay, and that is why I have a job, because that's what I ask my clients all the time. Okay, those are great plans. How could we make it simple? And then they respond, well, if we wanted to do it right, nope, didn't ask that question. <laughs> simple. Simple was the goal. Simple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Tamara, thank you so much for being a guest today. I, I have so enjoyed our conversation both both before we hit record and throughout our conversation. Um, and folks, we're, as you know, we'll have all of her links in the show notes. I do encourage you, if this is a concern for you or a family member, or you have a loved one, a friend that's just like, you can relate to what they have told you in the past by what Tamara shared today, Please share the episode with them or go out and reach out to Tamara's folks at, at her institute and find out more. Um, because sometimes we are the helping hand for someone who doesn't even know mm-hmm. where to look. And right, doesn't take long, doesn't take much time, but just takes some heart and caring. So I would just encourage you to reach out for yourself or for those you love. Um, and as she says in her next book, own your own stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Stuff. we can all a do better
2: way to put that yes
1: uh, you know oh well, it's very professional stuff mm-hmm. your stuff mm-hmm. a little more professional than i did
2: yeah uh, No, no, <laughs>
1: i i just thought once was good yeah. i know if i start swearing i will continue all day and for me i'm no, like, a ghost time it's uh, going to keep going so
2: <laughs> i know my boundaries Tamara. All it's right, been folks. such a pleasure to talk with you thank you so much for having me on
1: Oh, so fun. I'm so glad I didn't know you researched me before you even wanted to be on the podcast because I would have felt intimidated. So (laughs) I say ignorance is bliss. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Please remember to share, rate, and review. We always love that. It helps us get the word out. But more importantly, share it with a friend. And we'll see you next week.